Welcome to the Inspiro Podcast, the podcast exploring personal growth, leadership, strategy, communication, and fulfillment. We are your hosts, Jason Luchtefeld and Bill Woodburn. I'm here as a dentist transitioning into a career to help facilitate individuals and their organizations towards a more fulfilling future. Hi there, I'm Bill Woodburn, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas. I'm fascinated by the way people come together to solve problems, whether that's couples or families, dental practices or organizations. We're going to be exploring a lot of topics, and for us to be able to be free to do that, I have to let you know that this is not intended to be dental advice or counseling advice. Let's keep moving into examples of poor communication. One of these, I'm going to say it's the most common, is triangulation. Yes. So yeah. how, would, how would you define triangulation, Bill? Okay, let's say that we've got two people. And for whatever reason, their communication breaks down. They're either not talking to each other or more usually they're not talking to each other about some specific problems they have with each other. They may be talking to each other in the practice about all sorts of stuff, but they never bring this thing up and it just stays between them. At some point in, if there's going to be triangulation, one or both of those people go to a third party to present their case. This is why so-and-so is wrong and I am right. This is what so-and-so needs to do. This is how I see. And that third person either just absorbs that or sometimes then they go over to the other person and say, well, if you'd really do this and Susie said, if you, you know, and then we could fix this. And so they become this sort of mediator and sponge for the bad feelings. And they think they're helping, but really what they're doing is setting up a system where the two original people that don't get along never have to fix that. They have, they have a little shunt that goes through that they can send off the bad feelings and they never have to have enough bad feelings to say, you know, I need to just go talk to so-and-so. I know I have trouble with them, but we got to fix this because I'm started feeling bad. That's why most people fix those. But you never have to feel that. You can dump it on that third person. It is extremely damaging to the third person who's trying to manage this relationship. They get all of the pain, all of the anger, all of the hurt dumped on them. The people doing the dumping feel better. 
but they feel a lot worse. Leaders occasionally get, well, often get triangulated because it looks like it's a leadership issue. Oh, yes, you don't like so-and-so, and I need to go tell so-and-so that they need to shape up. Or, you know, that's actually a temptation that, that's going to lead to some, <laughs> some bad situation. Because once you're in a triangle, it's really hard to get out. Because what happens is when you get out, both people are offended at you. <laughs> yeah, so it, uh, I'm, I'm going to just add to that. The example you gave the third person was a what I'm going to call someone trying to be a helper. Yes. And that third person can also be somebody that is a manipulator and can can enhance the triangle make the triangle worse because they pile on to the complaints rather than trying to help mediate the complaints and that might be even worse uh, for a team culture sometimes they're not intentionally manipulating but often the person who gets chosen to be that third person the shunt for all these feelings is often the person in the practice that is the most anxious already and the most worried about relationships in the group. Oh, it makes mm. them an easy target, right? Mm -hmm. They want these people to feel better. So sometimes they will volunteer to be in that third person shunt spot. So I can, because I'm just frantic that these people get along so I can feel better. Mm -hmm. Now, if my good feeling or is, is controlled by their feelings. My next step is try to control their feelings because they're a threat to me. When they feel bad, I feel bad. Oh, I have to make sure they never feel bad. Okay. Oh, I have to control them to make <laughs> sure they never feel bad. As a matter of fact, I have to control the other people in the practice that might come and make them feel bad. So, I was controlling two people, but now I'm controlling four people and now I'm controlling six people and now I'm controlling the whole team because anybody that comes in and mentions this issue and then everybody gets upset and I can't handle it. So what do I need to do? I need to just make sure that everybody's happy. Well, the only way to do that is I have to control everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's not Machiavellian usually. It's, it's a desperate person who believes that they got to make everybody else happy or at least get along or they're going to be feeling bad. Mm -hmm. So there's a knee-jerk reaction by the leader oftentimes that to fix the triangle, you, you put the two people that are having the problem with each other in a room and let them sort it out. And yeah, turn off the light, hand out baseball bats. That's right. No, no, actually not that. My first response to reading that years ago was, oh, yeah, you know, we're adults. You, you just let them, you just kind of force them to have that conversation. Well, turns out that that is the absolute wrong thing to do. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's uh, essentially just feeds a really poor culture of communication. And instead, the leader... Yeah needs to be able to mediate that conversation to help demonstrate what appropriate communication looks like, what resolution looks like, to demonstrate that you can have disagreement and still like each other and 
come to consensus, if not full agreement on something. And so not all leaders have that capacity or ability. And so sometimes bringing in a third party to facilitate those conversations is what's needed. What would you add to that? That I think it's, it's worthwhile for the leader to bring in the two parties that are not getting along Mm -hmm. and to work to facilitate. Now by facilitate doesn't mean fix because what I often see is the person brings them in and is then triangulated in that moment because they feel like they have to fix it. No, you have to tell tell yourself, okay, I'm not going to fix this. I'm going to make sure that people follow the rules of communication. Well, if you don't already have rules of communication in your office, that's not a good move. Rules communication comes out of the mission, which comes out of the values. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what are our values? How are we? How do we act out our values? And very specifically, how do we act out our values around communication? I prefer a written sense, a written document. If we do this, we don't do that. Um, there are even some examples. Some of them online. Some of them are reasonably decent. What I often call rules of engagement. It's a military term. How how are we going to enter into this conflict? Uh, and that the leader's role in that moment is just to tend the process, not to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot easier than fixing the problem. So it's 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 more a matter of of of, of staying on your side of the street, which is I'm I'm just. You know, we're just not going to do name calling. We're not going to do blaming. Da, 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 da. I'm not going to be able to fix your problem. If you do that and you don't see um, significant improvement in people's ability to listen to the other person and to de-escalate, meaning they're no longer complete. They may not like each other a lot, but they're, they're, they're not actively in conflict. If you don't see that after a conversation, maybe two, time to get some professional help. Mm. It will be money well spent. A professional facilitator can do it a lot faster than you. And yeah, you know, you're... Hey, it's Jason again, popping in, interrupting, to let you know that the idea that Bill presented here about the core values is a critical one. So make sure that your core values are defined and actionable. This is what we call operationalizing your core values. And so if you look at your list of core values, say there's three to five of them, there should be one in there that you can use as a foundation for what communication looks like in your office. So take a few minutes, write down the core values, write down their definitions, and then write down specific actions like how we communicate in this office as a descriptor of one of those core values. Secondarily, there are boundary statements you can create for your office. These are the things that we will not do. And so with this, it's really important to outline that you will not triangulate. So there you go. Back to the podcast. You're a dentist. You make more money going and doing dentistry than you do facilitating this. So it's a, it, it's a, it's a good, relatively inexpensive way to fix things a lot faster. Mm-hmm. One tool that's available that I think can be really helpful while clunky at first 
is the awareness wheel. Oh, absolutely. And so maybe this, I know we want to, at some point, really dive deep into the awareness wheel, but it might be a good opportunity to at least mention the flow of it. And if somebody wanted more information, they can reach out to us at inspiropodcast at gmail.com, or you can look for it online. But uh, the awareness wheel was something, uh, again, I learned from you maybe four years ago. At first, my skin got hot and I was sweating trying to go through it because it is a embarrassing and unnatural way of communicating at first for most people, I think. And what was embarrassing about it? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, and, uh, people, often, people are often uncomfortable. It's the first time I've heard embarrassing. Okay. So it's, um, well, it's sort of like being what I also look at as being an actor on stage and trying to uh, imagining that I look silly. And so when I'm going through the awareness wheel, I'm having to try to slow down what I'm saying, be much more articulate with each step. And in doing so, I, I look less smart. I look like I don't know what I'm talking about. I, 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 so it becomes an, a very vulnerable <laughs> and embarrassing thing at first, but and done in a controlled environment with a facilitator, it makes all that okay, easier. You're working through it. The person that you're doing it with is also working through it with you. The first couple iterations of going through are, are challenging. There are some uh, emotions that come out oftentimes. Sometimes it's laughing because of how you feel. Sometimes it's crying because of how you're feeling, but uh, those will come out. It's just a, a really nice organized tool to move a conversation forward, especially one that involves conflict of some sort. So could you walk us through the four steps kind of sure. kind of quick, just to like give people a taste of it and then uh, oh, absolutely. go on? You know, I, I go into offices that are very scared of conflict. And what I usually tell them is, well, yeah, I'd be scared of conflict, too, if I was as bad at it as you guys are. <laughs> uh, there are actual skills to do this. It's it's learnable. It's it's not it's not this weird esoteric. Oops, no, there are four steps. Um, there is a prep that we do, which is to. Uh, ask people and to make sure that it is a good time and place to actually have a serious conversation. Dental offices are busy. It's not always a good time. Uh, people have lives and things could be going on and it's not always a good time. So we make sure it's a good time uh, or at least an optimal time. It doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, the step one is to non-judgmentally Tell the other person an action they did that bothered you. Not an intention they had, not a feeling that you suspect they had, not a thought that where your mind reading was. An action, observable action, and to be able to say it non-judgmentally. In our culture, that is extremely difficult. We live in a very judgment-laden culture with lots of judgment words, you know. Well, when you were so lazy that you didn't clean up after it's like, no, when you just forgot us and went home, no, I mean, it's, 
it's really difficult sometimes. But the point is you want to be able to put that data out there in a way that the other person agrees. That is what happened. You don't want to fight on the first step. We want to delay the fight until we have as much on the information on the table as possible. It's easy for dental teams to realize is that, you know, you guys go through x-rays and diagnosis and treatment plan before you ever do anything. This is the same way. We don't want to start with something major. We want to gather the data a little along before we get into the series. So this is why we stay non-judgmental. I just want to, you know, just, we just have to be in the same world. Number two, uh, number two is where we share with the person what we began to think or imagine when we observe that behavior. See, remember, we just talked about behavior. Now we have to talk about its effect on us. And that usually means I imagined that you didn't care because you went home early and left us with the cleanup. But you, you label it as the effect it had on your head, not as some sort of absolute truth. What you're doing is you're being able to put yourself and it's the effect on you there. Frequently, we're having this discussion with someone that we are in relationship with. They want to know how their actions affect us. It, it's, it means something to them how our actions, their actions affect us. So we need to give them that information. Um, then we include how we felt. It's a step that's often skipped, particularly in dental offices. And people will say, I'm uncomfortable with this. I don't want to tell them how I feel. Let's go back to our idea that without a feeling expressed, we have no way to prioritize what the other person's request of us is. Is this just informing us? Are they just venting? Do they really want us to do something? If so, should I do it now? Should I do it next week? Should I just kind of think about it? What Feelings, sharing feelings are how human beings know how important that is to someone. And last step is you need to be able to tell them what you need. I also suggest it's what you need that they can actually do. You know, I'd like it to be about 10 degrees cooler outside right now, but I'm, I'm probably not going to have a conflict with you about that. Okay. I doubt you can do that. I remember a mom that came in one time talking about her 14-year-old son, and uh, I asked what the goal of the counseling should be. She said, I want him to want to, to do his homework. I said, I can't. He's a 14-year-old boy. I can't make him want to do his homework. Now, we can come up with ways to get him to do his homework. But I can't make him want to do his homework. See, she needed something, but what she was asking for is something that I couldn't do. So I have to be pretty scrupulous about Oh, well, this person could stay a little later and help us clean, or they could come earlier and be more present at the, at the morning huddle. Or Those are actions that I can request. Uh, that's something they can do. Uh, that they feel differently about something, that's a hard request. Uh, that they believe in the vision of our practice, that's a hard request. I'm not sure. I mean, like, I'm not sure they can do that. I'm not sure. I can't make them do that. I, now we're just off in, in feeling helpless. The point of the, the four steps is to be able to make clear what behavior the conflict is about and how it affects you and what you want. It's not problem solving. It's not, and you should do this. It's, I need this. Matter of fact, the ones that seem to work best is, 
I need something, but I'm not telling you, I'm not micromanaging how you do it. How you do it is fine with me. It's like, uh, you know, I, I need your help cleaning up at the end of the day. Well, um, how about I, I get really hungry. So if I could go eat dinner and come back and help. Well, then I said, well, no, no, I need this. Like, no, wait a minute. They're working with me here. They just need something. Okay. It, it, it may not be what I'm imagining they should do, but that's, that's, that's micromanaging. Will I get at the end what I need? Okay. Uh, last is there are very few problems so small that we only go through this once. The other person then gets to say, yeah, I'll do that. No, I won't do that. Or that really makes me angry or whatever they say. We take that statement. We take that action. We plug it back into the top step one that becomes the new behavior. And we go back through it again on really complicated issues. Um, very values laden issues. Um, I used to work with interfaith couples who, when they had issues, it often were, was very value-based issues, which are very, very tricky. And so one time through the awareness wheel often just got us to an awareness level, but it really didn't fix anything. And what I noticed is that the feelings expressed each time by each person slowly began to come together. The needs slowly began to come together until they were both, there's one thing we need. There's, there are feelings are starting to mesh. Our idea of what this problem is, is starting to mesh. Again, it's a step-by-step -step process of two people coming together. And the bigger the issue or the more inflammatory the issue, uh, the, the, the smaller the steps are before you can come together. Thank you for that description. I think that really explained it well. And I think is a method of negotiating where we are hopefully the goal is to improve the relationship and potentially resolve a conflict, but it's, it's to further the relationship, not to try to win verse where, you know, there is a really popular book out now called like the art of negotiation or something like that. I don't, I don't know the name of it, but it's newer and has really made the circles where it's tactics and negotiation to try to maximize your gain. That's not what this is. So even though it sounds like a negotiation, it's, it's a different style of negotiation than what you might have read about recently. Thank you for bringing that up because it, it depends on your goal. Yeah. If your goal is to win, you can certainly do that. Not really with this, uh, the awareness but there there are plenty of techniques and go buy a book and you can absolutely win um you will be having to you know change out your team every year or so <laughs> um on the other hand you could prioritize relationship the awareness wheel is a good way to strengthen a relationship even if you disagree even if there's a conflict so the point is not winning the conflict is we have a stronger relationship now and we both have more commitment to the vision of this practice now. And if the vision is solid and our relationship's solid, maybe we can do some terrific things. Mm -hmm. If you don't care about the vision or the mission or the relationship, you can absolutely win. I mean, mm. that's that just, yeah. 
but it gets a little scorched earth. You yeah. show up one morning and there won't be anybody in your office. Right. Uh, the other piece I wanted to add there that I think is really helpful <laughs> plug-in for this is when you get to the feeling step. For a lot of us, as you described, it's hard to get past uh, happy, sad, glad, mad. And so having something like a mood meter or a feeling wheel or something like that in front of you to try to help dig into some of the more meaningful descriptions of what you felt can be really helpful in this learning phase of going through this. You know, one of the things that I, I regularly do in my office is help people be more articulate about their feelings. So if, if I, if someone tells me they're angry, well, I'm not quite sure what to do with that. But if they tell me they're frustrated, which is a kind of anger. Now, frustration is there's an obstacle blocking a goal that's important to them. Oh, now I know what we're working on. There's an obstacle. What is it? Can we remove the obstacle? Okay. okay, now I got something to do. I got some traction there. Or if they say uh, that they're outraged, outrage is, well, something is unfair here. Okay, let's find out what the unfairness is. Can we, can we mediate that unfairness some? Okay, just angry, sad happy doesn't I, I i don't know what to do with that other i, mean, I can listen i can kind of sympathize a little bit but it's like i, I can't really help you mm -hmm. I, I need it to be uh, clear enough that 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 emotion actually evokes what a solution might look like mm -hmm. i'm frustrated oh well most of us have been frustrated most of us know the solution is removing an obstacle so not having this obstacle here would be what fixing it would look like. Now I know. It really brings us full circle from where we started that in this, we are trying to create a vivid image in the other person's head about what it is we are feeling, thinking, experiencing. And the better we can do that, the better that person is going to be able to understand what is going on in our head. The, the, the father that said, I, I need my son to be a good boy. Yeah. He really did have a heartfelt need. I'm, I'm not laughing at him. But his son has almost no way of meeting that need for him. Yeah. Because the language didn't really express enough for the son to meet the father's needs. One of the reasons why people may not be meeting your needs is maybe you're not expressing them in a way that gives them clues to know what to do about the need. Mm -hmm. Thanks again. Don't forget, you can always reach out to us in Podcast at gmail.com. Until next week, keep communicating.